something out of it that I hope will be uh, encouraging and beneficial to us. Uh, as you, if you remember from last week, if you were here, we started a, a new series of lessons, and, and the series is entitled The Five-Part Bible Study, and uh, some of you are familiar with that. Is It's really a tool for doing two things. One is to give people an overview of the Bible. But two, and maybe more importantly, is to bring people to Christ. It's, a, it's, a, it's an evangelism tool is what it is. And so you might then ask yourself as we ha- look at the slide, in the be- it says in the beginning, so you, you, you recognize that this is from Genesis chapter 1, and so you might think, you might, you might be led to think, well, wait a minute, we just had that lesson last week, Yancey gave on the dispensations of time, you know, there's God deals with man in three dispensations of time. There was the patriarchal time, meaning uh, that basically God came to men that were the leaders of their family and He told them what, they want, what He wanted them to do, and they did that. And then there was the time of the law, the law of Moses, starting after the Exodus. And, and that was the law, the, the mosaical uh, time period. And then finally, the, the third time period is that period that we're in now is the Christian dispensation of time. So you might ask yourself is, why then uh, do we need to go back to this beginning if um, really we're judged in the current dispensation? Well, the truth is, is there's a lot of things that we can learn from the Old Testament that helps us understand the new. And in fact, one of the key things that we can do is we can learn about the nature of God. Now think about that. You can learn about God's nature. And you know, we, there's people that we know well. And if you know a person really well, and how they've responded in other situations, you can pretty well predict what they'll do in the future if they're a consistent person. My wife and I have been married 29 years now, and I can pretty much predict how she's going to respond because she's a very consistent person, very predictable. So I can tell you that there's some things about her that it's just going to happen that way. If if X happens, she's going to follow with this. It's just every time. And I believe that we can look to God and we can find some things out about His nature because although what He asks us to do specifically may be different from dispensation to dispensation, The nature of God is very consistent and very unchangeable. And so we want to look at it in that light this morning. We want to look at from the beginning and and get some things from the the initial chapters that maybe will help us understand how God deals with man. And the first thing I want to throw up is this slide that says, this is Deuteronomy 29 and 29, where it says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do the words of this law. Now, understand that God has not revealed everything to man. That there's just, God does not desire that man knows everything about his nature. You know, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest this morning and tell you, I have no idea how God came to be. I have no idea. I mean, think about that. How could a being like that occur? What was before God? Well, there wasn't anything before God. Well, how is that possible? I don't know. 
But I do know that there are secret things that God has not revealed for man to understand. And so we're only going to look at those things that God has revealed for us to understand. Because there's a good part that He has revealed, and we should focus our attention upon those things and not worry about those issues that are, you know, undebatable because there's really no answers to those things. Let's look in Genesis chapter 1 and beginning in verse 24. And we recognize that this is the time where God creates, creates living beings. And it said, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. <coughs> Excuse me. And God saw that it was good. But man is unique. Man was different. And so we find in verse 26, he says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Did he make the cattle in his image? Did he make the creeping things of the earth in his image? How about the snake? No. But he says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over the earth, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we recognize that from the very beginning, God made man in a way that was unique. And he continues, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, how many times does he have to say it? In the image of God... He created him, male and female, he created, created them. So we see that there is a uniqueness to man that does not exist with cattle or dogs or anything else that we might think of. And the Lord, Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God put within us something that he did not give any other animal. And that is a soul. And that soul will live forever. That soul will live either with God one day or it will be damned and it will live with Satan one day. That's, that's kind of the choice. But there's a uniqueness to man and he created him out of the ground. And we recognize that God created man with a power to make decisions. You know, the, 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 birds, the birds of the air, what, they don't reason what to do. They just follow their nature. God made them a certain way, and they fly, and they do what they do. And Well, they're not choosing between good and evil, are they? They're just doing what they do. You know, if you find a predator in the, in the, in the jungle... And they go and, and kill, some, kill some prey. Well, they're just doing what... They're just following their nature. They're not making a moral decision on, I wonder if I ought to do that today. They're not making that decision. That's where man is unique, is man is called to make decisions. And we can either obey God or we can disobey God. It's really pretty simple. Joshua says it this way in Joshua 24 and verse 19 says, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, 
whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So you see, you have choices. God made man unique and he gave us the ability to recognize right and wrong and to make choices as to what we do. We can either follow him or we can disobey him. We can either we can either spend our time doing his work or we can spend our time working against him, doing evil and, and everything that's abominable. And he gives us that choice and that right and that freedom. And that makes man a very unique being. We recognize that there was a first choice. And it was to Adam and Eve. And, and God gave them a command. And they were basically, they were, they were asked. They said, and the Lord God commanded uh, the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat free, uh, freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. That was the choice. Or that He gave them a choice. He said, here's what, I, here's what I'm telling you to do. And if you do it, if, if you disobey, you're going to die. Satan came along in the form of a certain, a serpent, excuse me, in the form of a serpent, and he changed it. But he only, notice that he only changed it slightly. Look at what it says. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you will eat, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now you notice that he really... All he did is he changed one word. He added a word, and that word was not. You won't die. Instead of dying, what it's going to do is it's going to make you like God. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to... Do you want to remain in this ignorance? Don't you want to be like God? And So man was forced with a choice, and we all know how that worked out. Uh, not that we would have done any better, probably not. But we recognize that man, it was a very simple choice, and they chose to disobey God. And we recognize that those, those, that choice then had consequences, and those consequences were, were negative. God drove them out of the garden, and eventually uh, man did die, and we die today um, because of the curse that was placed on us because of this disobedience. But one of the things I want you to get out of this is that notice that Satan changed the word. He just added not. Man today does not have the privilege, the right, to change God's Word. And that's taught throughout the Scriptures. We're just going to look at three examples. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, he says this, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach, to teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you keep the commandments of of the Lord your God which I command you. So don't add to the word, don't subtract from the word, but take the word as it's been delivered and obey it. In Galatians chapter 1, he says, this is the, the Apostle Paul writing the churches there, he says, 
But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, if you, if you look a little farther, you find out that what was going on here is that they were perverting the gospel. He says, not that it's another gospel, but there would be some that would come up and would pervert the gospel. They were just changing it. And we know in this specific incident what they were doing is they were teaching the law of Judaism and saying that, well, yeah, accept Christ and be baptized, but you're still under the law of, Ju- of, of Moses and you're supposed to obey that stuff. And so what, what Paul says that if, you, if you're going to follow that idea... You're fallen from, you're no longer under grace. You've fallen from grace in about chapter 5 and verse number 4. And of course, he ends the book of Revelation, and we know that this is specific to the book of Revelation. But again, what's the nature of God? The nature of God is you don't change His Word. You take it as it is and you obey it. But in Revelation 22, it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to these things, God will add to them the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this, the the book of this prophecy, God shall take away uh, his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Pretty simple. Don't mess with the word. You start changing that. And now, who knows what to do? God made a man, man to choose. And one of the things that he, in choosing, is he sets priorities. And in this particular instance, let me give you a little bit of background. Isaac was, Isaac and, and his company, people that were servants and all that, were around him and they accompanied him into the land of Canaan. And while they were there, They were trying to find a place to inhabit, but there were other peoples in that area, and they were having a hard time finding a place that they didn't conflict with those that were already settled in the land. So it says, Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am God, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. For I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he comes to Isaac and he says, I'm with you. And here's, here's Isaac's response. And I think it's a, there's a great lesson in this for our own obedience. Number one, he built an altar there and he called upon the Lord, the name of the Lord. Then... He pitched his tent, and then his servants dug a well. You see where his priority was? His priority was God. Now, the temporal things of life, we knew he had to have. He had to have a place to live. He had to have water. Certainly, he had to have food. All those things were were necessary, but what was his priority? I would submit to you that Isaac's making some choices in obedience to God that are very pleasing to him. And if we can follow that same example, we'll do pretty well in life. Is to put the kingdom of God first and then hunt that other stuff after that and we'll do quite well. Well, that requires faith, doesn't it? You know, God came to Isaac at night and Isaac heard this voice. Now, he could have thought, oh, I'm just hearing things that's 
But God, but, but Isaac had faith. And because of his faith, God blessed him. So, wouldn't it help your faith if we just had a sign? I mean, isn't it hard to know? And so, wouldn't there be a lot more people that would be here this morning and be obedient to God if, if they just had a sign where we really, 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 really knew? I mean, we had proof beyond any... any uh, there, it would be un- incontrovertible. You, you couldn't argue with it. Wouldn't that be great? Well, Jesus answered this way, and He said, and He's talking to the Pharisees. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, and they were talking to Jesus, We want to see a sign from you. But He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So in other words, he referred them right back to the Old Testament. He said, look at that. Look at those stories, because in that, that's the sign that you'll get. The truth is, is in this life, God deals with us strictly through faith. He set it up that way. Faith is the vehicle that God interacts with man. You know, God cannot be, by, by earthly science, even all these years, 6,000 years after the creation, that, that man cannot prove or disprove the existence of a God conclusively. Now, there's evidence, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. It's not, he doesn't want us to have just blind faith. But God has set it up to where man must have faith. In Romans chapter 10, he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So you get faith. How do you get faith? Well, you read the Word. And as you read the Word, you begin to compare what you read with what you see, and you recognize that there is a consistency there, and it makes some sense to you, and that that makes you a believer. You know, people, people that don't believe are are people that fall into disbelief for those that tend to stray from God's Word. But the more we spend in God's Word, the stronger our faith becomes. Well, reckon why? Because I believe there's a consistency between the things that God has told us and the things that we know and we see in life and we recognize that it must be true. See, God does not require us to have a blind faith. We interact with God through faith. First of all, we have to have faith that He really exists. We have to have faith that He has given us His will. Because after all, if He hasn't given us His will, and we don't know what His will is, then how how do we know what to do? We have to have faith that we can understand His will. We have to have faith that we can please Him. We have to have faith that He will reward our obedience. You see, all these things require our faith. Not just, um, not just proof beyond a shadow of a doubt like a sign might be, but we have to act upon faith. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, Now faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. You can't really see that very well, but you know what that is? That is a, that's a mole hole. 
And I will tell you that for about the last five years or so, Connie and I have had a mole in our yard. And you can see the ruts as he's gone from one hole to another and it's kind of raised the ground, you know, where they're traveling under the, under the ground just a little bit. I will confess to you, I have never seen that mole. And if I did, I would do everything I could to kill it because it has dug up my yard for at least the last five years. But there is evidence that he's been there. And that evidence is the things that we see. So he goes on and he says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not, were, were, were not made of things which are visible. In other words, he took things that we can't see and we created things that we can see. But just like that mold, I know that mold exists. I've never seen it, but I know it exists. And because we can look and we can see a world that that has been formed and we have the existence that we have, we recognize that something had to have created it. And unless you're subscribed to the fact that uh, these two chemicals came together and you had this explosion and this explosion created this life and this life evolved into this other life and more complicated life and so forth and you stretch it out for millions and millions of years then you have to recognize that there had to be a creator there had to be and so it's a matter of faith but understand it's not blind faith it's not that he's asking you to believe something that there's no evidence of The evidence is there, just like that mole. I know that that mole exists. Next thing we want to look at this morning is, does God care how I worship Him? You know, there's a lot of people that will try, they do different things and they believe that. I've heard people say, well, I can just worship God in my car going down the road and God doesn't really care how I worship Him. And by the way, you can do that. There's nothing wrong with with going down the road and saying a prayer or singing songs and that, there's and, and I believe that is a form of worship. But let's let's again let's look at God's nature again, and let's go back to the story of Cain and Abel, and it says in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So you have these two brothers. One brings an offering. The other brings an offering. One is pleasing to God. The other is not. The question that we have to ask is, well, why? Well, your your initial inclination here is to say, well, it must be that God didn't want something of the ground. He wanted something, of uh, uh, an animal that was to be sacrificed. But you know, think about that. Because Cain was a tiller of the ground. Cain brought what he had. He didn't have any livestock. He was a farmer. So he brought what he had. Abel, on the other hand, he was a rancher. He brought what he had. Well, Again, the New Testament sheds some light on that. In chapter 11, again, of Hebrews, it says that by faith, 
Abraham offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. I believe the, the supposition here, or the, what you can derive from that then, is that Cain offered a sacrifice, Abel offered a sacrifice, but Abel's sacrifice was of faith. Cain's sacrifice was of conscience, meaning that he just wanted to please whoever was watching. Now think about that as far as how it affects us. You come to church on a Sunday morning. Is it for the purpose of worshiping God? Is it because you are truly thankful for what He's done for you? That He sent His Son to die for you and that's why you're here and you're singing these songs of praise to His name and you're, you're in prayer and you're involved in all that? Why? The heart matters to God, you see, because if we're just here to, to make an appearance for each other, that's not, that's not what he's after. And so that type of sacrifice is not acceptable. Now, let me quickly add that there are times that you get up on a Sunday morning and maybe you're worn out and you're just tired and it's hard to get in the frame of mind. And so to think, well, my heart's not in it, so I'm not going to go to church today. That's not the way to think. The way to think is I'm going to go up there and then as we start to worship, then I'll recognize while I'm there and I'll begin to worship the way I should with a true, thankful heart through faith to God. But Cain's sacrifice wasn't pleasing to God because it wasn't one of faith. It was one just to try to maybe please his parents, maybe, maybe look good to Abel. I don't know. But, but it wasn't a faith, and because it wasn't a faith, it didn't please the Lord. Well, let's, let's look at another quick story here. Let's look at Noah. So how many animals, how many of each of the animals did Noah put on the ark? Most everybody says two. But look at this verse. Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 2, you shall take with you seven of, e of each of the of every clean animal, a male and a female, two of each animals that are unclean, a male and a female. So of the, of the clean animals, the animals that later on the Jews were, that God identified to them as being clean, he took seven. But of the unclean, he took two. Now, the reason I bring that up is because if we're not careful... You start hearing what's taught, and you just accept it. And so you accept it as truth. But when you look at God's Word, it may say something a little different. Now, granted, there were, they did go two by two, except for the clean animals. And the clean animals, there were seven. So the important thing is, the lesson there is, learn, from, learn to look at God's Word in detail and understand what He really wants. Okay. Um, Looking again at the story of Noah. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was, was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man and whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made him. 
the last sentence. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Was Noah's grace... Did, did that save him? Did Noah's grace save him? Certainly we would have to conclude that it was essential. He had... If God didn't look at Noah and say, this man is different, I'm going to save him, then he wouldn't have been saved. But the truth is, his grace was essential, but it wasn't sufficient. So let's look a little farther in Hebrews 11 again. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So, did faith save him? Well, faith was necessary, but it wasn't sufficient. What if he didn't do anything? What if he said, well, God loves me and he's going to take care of me and I, whether I build this ark or not. And you know, that ark was huge. It took him over a hundred years to build it. Why not just build a... Why not just... If, since it's God interacting in this thing anyway, why not just you know put three or four boards together and get up on there and... Well, God could have saved him that way. But he had to manifest his faith over a hundred year period in the building of this boat. And again, notice that he moved. That that faith caused him to fear and that fear caused him to act. So, was his obedience sufficient? Obedience was necessary but it wasn't sufficient. Let's go one more. Let's look in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter describes it this way. He says, When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, you know, God waited over a hundred years for him to build that thing. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Now, at first, I, I had to scratch my head on that one and think, how did the water save him? I mean, Think of it, he was already alive. Well, he was alive, all right. And if God had not sent the flood, he would have probably stayed alive for maybe many more years. But he would have been, he would have been surrounded by all this sin and all these things that God hated. And so God saved this family from this environment of sin through using the vehicle of water. He lifted the boat up and he washed all of that sin and wickedness and unrighteousness that he hated so badly away. So it took all of these components. So was, just review real quickly, was, was Noah saved by grace alone? Nope. What about faith? Not enough. What about obeying? He did what God said. That's pretty good. Well, that's true, but... There had to be one more component, and that component, of course, was the water that washed away his sins. It took, it took both the work of God and the work of Noah to make that happen. So let's look at us. What are we saved by? What about grace alone? You know, there's people that teach today, much of the Christian world teaches that, you know, basically God will just pick you out and go, oh... You're one of my chosen, I'm saving you, not this guy over here, that one. And His grace is sufficient, and no matter what you do, you're saved, and no matter what this poor slob over here does, he's lost. So there's people that teach that. But is grace sufficient for us to be saved? 
The answer is just like with Noah. No. How about faith? Do we have to believe? We absolutely have to believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He came here, that He died, and that He rose the third day. We have to bless the gospel. We have to believe that. So, is faith, is, is that, will that do it? Will that save us? Well, it would be nice, but we've got, just like, just like with Noah, we better be moved with fear to do something. And that, that doing something is obedience. Now, part of that obedience, not all of it, but part of that obedience is to confess Him before men and to repent of our sins because that's taught in the Scriptures that that's what man should do. Well, is that enough? We obeyed. What about water? Going back to the same passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we said that He saved them by water. Look what He says. Eight souls being saved by water. He says there's an antitype, meaning that, that that is a shadow of something else, and that something else is our baptism. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience toward God. Just like Noah, if the water had never been sent, Noah might remain alive on this earth, but he wouldn't have been saved from all that sin. And you and I, we remain alive on this, on this earth, but without water baptism, we are not freed from our sins. And so I believe that's what he's teaching here. And I believe that's what he's teaching with the story of Noah, that very clearly... All of these facets had to come into play. So it takes all these things together to save Noah and all these things together to save us. So grace, faith, obedience, water was sufficient to save Noah. By the same token, God's grace upon us. You know, you can't earn your faith. It took God's grace. Just like with Noah... Noah found favor with God. Noah finds favor with us in sending his son to the earth to give us the opportunity. We have to have faith. We have to have obedience. And finally, we have to be obedient in the form of a water baptism that frees us from that sin. And that's where our salvation lies. I believe there's a lot of things that we can learn from the Old Testament. You look in the New Testament and it takes you back to the Old. And you begin to study in there. You begin to understand God's nature. And as you begin to understand God's nature, you, can, you recognize the power and the consistency of these books as, they, as they're so perfectly uh, intertwined. Uh, this morning, if, if we, can, we presented this study, uh, certainly if, if you're not a Christian and you want to obey the gospel through baptism, we want to help you with that. But we also recognize that we're presenting this study as something that you can use as a tool. A tool to share with your Christian friends and, and, and your non-Christian friends and, and perhaps bring them to God's truth in a way that's very powerful. If we can assist you in any way, we're going to offer a song of invitation. So as we stand and sing the, the song that's been selected, we'll ask you to come forward if we can help you in any way.